to 52. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and their friends. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem looking for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. This is the word of the Lord. Now we're going to... Well, good morning, everybody. Do any of us remember the days before computers and mobile phones and iPads and all that? In the days when at Christmas we used to play hide-and-seek. Remember that? And the little children actually wanted to be found. They hated being shut in a cupboard or behind a door. And they jumped for joy when somebody found them. Well, this morning, up to a point, we're going to have a bit of a game of hide-and-seek and talk about what it was when Jesus was not amongst the crowd when they were walking back home. He was in the temple. We, as parents, will know how precious our children are and if they get lost, how hurtful that is. Chris and I were on the beach at Swanage some years ago, digging sandcastles, and our youngest, Sue, who was two at the time, wandered off. And Swanage Beach was pretty crowded, and it took us a long, long while to find Sue. And I can tell you, we were getting a bit concerned. We had two other young children, and fortunately, somebody on the beach took hold of Sue and held her until we found her. Now that was an anxious half an hour, three quarters of an hour. But you think of parents who have lost their children for much longer than that, for three hours, for three days, for three weeks, for three years. What a wonderful reunion there was yesterday for little Ataya, who was abducted four years ago, aged two, and taken to Pakistan. Yesterday she was returned home. But what about the parents of April Jones? What, six weeks ago, abducted, taken into a Range Rover, and not been seen since? What about the McCann family? Six years ago, they lost their daughter in Portugal. No sign of her since. You imagine the 
agony there is in that household. And as a police officer, and I know there's others here who would feel the same, you see parents come to police stations crying their eyes out, sobbing deeply because they've lost a child. I wonder what it was like for Mary and Joseph. They had come up to Jerusalem and they had met together with lots of old family, I suppose, a thoroughly enjoyable occasion. And when they decided to walk home, they assumed that Jesus was in the crowd. But in fact, he wasn't. And after a day of walking, I suppose Mary said to Joseph, Where's Jesus? I don't know, he's probably amongst the crowd. Little concern, really, but he wasn't there, so they walked back again. Now that's another day, and then another day, that's three days later, they found Jesus in the temple. And Jesus was as surprised as anybody, I think, to see them there, and said to Mother Mary and Joseph, why are you searching for me? Now, they were concerned parents, but Mary and Joseph knew that Jesus was someone special. He wasn't just their son. Mary probably remembered that moment when the angel told her that you will conceive. And she wasn't even married then. So they knew there was something wonderfully different about their son. And here's Jesus, not concerned that he wasn't amongst the crowd, and I'm sure he wasn't being disobedient, because he was there in his Father's house, capital F, God the Father. And if you look at the authorised version, he actually replied, you must know that I'm about my Father's business. And the business of the Lord Jesus, even though he was only 12 at that time, was about love and redemption and reconciliation. So this morning, I think we can have that question asked of us by the Lord Jesus. As if he was standing here and saying to you all, saying to me, why are you searching for me? And I wonder why we come to church. Is it to simply have company? I'm sure it's not just that, but that's part of it. Are we here to actually meet with the Lord and let him say to us, why are you searching for me? What is it you really need? What is it you really want? We're at the end of another year, aren't we? And we know that in this church, the ministry has been prayed through and faithfully given. And here we are at the end of one year and obviously at the beginning of another. So let's review the situation and see where we are at this particular point. Perhaps we are in a reflective mood as we look back over the year and an expectant mood as we look into 2013. Perhaps for some of us, the last year hasn't been the happiest of years through illness or bereavement, disappointment, change in family circumstances, maybe with financial worries. Those are the sort of things that crowd in on us and we just wish the year would go behind us. Perhaps we've done things which we regret or we've failed to do something which we ought to have done 
the other hand, it might be a year that we want to remember. The good things about 2012. We've rejoiced with the family. We've rejoiced with the church. We've been able to be used by God in our testimony. And we thank God as we look back. So Jesus may well repeat the question to us, why are you searching for me? And perhaps even more specific, remember when Jesus was speaking to blind Bartimaeus and he was crying out to the Lord Jesus and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Well, it was pretty obvious what the answer was going to be. I want to see. And maybe this morning, as Jesus says to us, why are you searching for me? What do you want me to do for you? We would say, Lord, we want to see what your will is for us as individuals and as a church. Perhaps as we review our situation, there's a feeling that we might have lost touch with him a bit. A feeling of loneliness, of missing out, of sensing that our faith is not as strong perhaps as it ought to be. It may well be that Jesus is saying to us, almost giving us the answer, why are you searching for me, he would say, and he'll give us the answer, because you need me. I think one of the most wonderful invitations we have in Scripture is in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus said, and he's saying it to us this morning, come to me, or if you're weary, or if you're burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest to your soul. What Jesus is saying, I can double the strength of your life. At times we see adverts, do we not, of new alcohol that's come out and it's now double the strength. As if we want that. But Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you and I'll double the strength of your life. Because the yoke in those days was where, like a double collar, Two oxen were linked together and with their double strength they could pull a plough or a trolley or whatever it was. Jesus is saying, take my yoke. I am with you. I can put my arm around you and double your strength to live your life for me. Join together with him. Because there's no need in life to face our burdens by ourselves. He is with us. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I am always with you. Yes, there's the church fellowship. There are friends here to help. But the greatest, of course, is us responding to the invitation. Come to me if you're weary, if you're burdened. So Jesus says, why are you searching? Maybe it's to restore the faith, perhaps, that we once had. Reviewing that situation, okay, we know roughly where we are. Let's recognize our state. Have you ever thought that you were actually walking with Jesus and discovered maybe you're not? Because things are going wrong. 
Because we're doing things we shouldn't be doing. We've got a thought life which is not under control. I wonder if you might shut your eyes for a moment and come with me. I'm a young PC. Now, believe it or not, I was young once, and I was a police constable. And I used to love it. The best job in the world is being a PC on the beat. And I loved it in the darkness. I used to hate the streets with streetlights because people could see me. I wanted to find the streets where there weren't streetlights, where I could actually see, get my night sight. And one night, Philip, a good friend of mine still, and I were after a vicious man who we knew was in King Henry Road, St. John's Wood. We knew his past, we knew what he'd just done, but we couldn't find him. So we went into a park called Primrose Hill Park so that we could spy on King Henry Road. My heart was thumping a bit because I knew this man was vicious. But being a rugby man, who cares? I can get hold of him. And I turned to say to Phil, right, you go over there, Phil, and I'll come here. But Phil wasn't there. And I'm thinking, hey, <laughs> I'm going to meet this man by myself. Phil apparently was saying, Rob, why don't we come here? And he found that we weren't together. And it was a very strange feeling. We went there all brave, knowing we were going to bring this fellow in and get a pat on the back from the sergeant. <laughs> and here we were now by ourselves. We hadn't realised in the darkness that we weren't together. Maybe that's happening to us, that we feel a bit distant from God, almost as if God has left us. But he hasn't. He doesn't move. He said, I'll always be with you. But there are times when maybe we shut him out by our own ambition, by all the things we want to do in life. We haven't actually taken him with us. So Jesus is saying again, what do you want me to do for you? Perhaps like Jesus' parents, we may not have realized that we're going on without him. Now Jesus came, did he not, to give new life and to bring his love into our life. What did Simeon say in Luke chapter 2? It's just before the bit that we read today. He was a believer that Jesus would come. And Simon, when he realized by the Holy Spirit that this little babe who had been brought to the temple by his parents was the Messiah, he said, I have seen your salvation, Lord. Now let me depart in peace. Excuse me saying this, John, but I'm not actually an Anglican. You probably know that. And it always amazes me that in the Church of England on a Sunday night we sing the Nunc Dimittis, which means really, Lord, now I've seen your salvation, let me die. <laughs> I'm sure that's not really the prayer, is it? But that's what people are singing. <laughs> You didn't hear that. I'm sure the other meaning to this is, Lord, I have seen your salvation. Let me be the one that fades back. I give myself to you. Let me die and you take over. I wonder if that's the real state because if he is Lord, he is Lord of everything in our life. The other day, Chris had a letter from the Duchess of York. And in the middle of that letter, it just said this, and I quote directly her words. I love Jesus. I love to turn more and more to Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful testimony? 
we tend to think of her as a bit of a wayward lady, but in fact she loves the Lord. We remember being introduced to her six weeks after she'd become a Christian. We happened to be on board the Royal Yacht at the time. So here we are with the new year upon us, and we must expect to make a new start. And I can remember as a youngster with parents who were concerned for us would say, make a New Year's resolution. In other words, be a better boy than you were last year for this year. But resolutions don't last, do they? Turning over new leaves don't last. They're a bit of fun more than anything else. But resolution without prayer, resolution without commitment is useless. None of us know what 2013 have in store. Despite the predictions of people who read the stars and all the things that don't actually happen, like two weeks ago, the earth was supposed to be the end, wasn't it not? But we knew it wasn't because Australia is ten, years, ten, ten hours before us and they weren't destroyed, so we knew that we were going to be all right. But of course it's an absurd prediction. What we can do is answer the question of Jesus. Why are you searching for me? What is it you want me to do for you? He's saying to us, please concentrate and put your faith in me. Not in the job that you're doing, not in the people who are your friends and so on. Let me be Lord, capital L, of all that you do and all that you think. The Bible says that we must trust and obey the Lord Jesus, for there's no other way to real life in him. Jesus is not one of many ways to approach God, neither is he the best of several ways. Jesus is the only way to meet God the Father. So what are we really searching for? As men, are we searching for recognition? Are we looking for retirement? I am, I know. Are we repenting of past failings? Ladies, is it to have fulfillment in the home? Is it to help others? Are we, as adults, seeking to serve the Lord in a deeper way? Young people, what are you looking for? Obviously to do well at school, to do well at university, but what's in the future? Are you committed to Jesus, who's saying to you, what do you want me to do for you? Interesting, isn't it? The Beatles went to the Far East to find some sort of satisfaction. The Magi came from the East out of curiosity to find Jesus. So there's a bit of a cross there. We've got Russell Grant giving great predictions from the stars as if they're going to tell us anything. We've got to look to Jesus and answer his question. What do you want me to do for you? The Old Testament has it so clearly. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. The Lord is at hand. And we're so fortunate to be in a fellowship like this at Christ Church. We have friends. We rely on each other. We enjoy each other's company. And it's easy to worship here. But what happens when we leave? At home and amongst our neighbours at our place of employment, in our sport, in our leisure hours. How strong are we to stand up 
for our Saviour? Are we prepared to allow the Holy Spirit to fill us so much that people automatically know where we stand? A few months ago in St. John, we were seeking a new prior. He's the sort of titular head of it all. And several people applied and we got the shortlist down to four. Two major generals, the secretary to the cabinet and the chief executive officer of Leicester City Council. Well, some you might say, well, we'll leave him out. He's only a civil servant, poor fellow. Maybe, maybe the major generals might have what we want. My job on the panel of five was to ask these applicants about their Christian commitment. Both the major generals virtually said the same thing. Well, of course, in the services we go to church and uh, we like to be there when the stand is raised and we certainly go to church at Christmas and on uh, Easter Sunday. We give money at the church fete. And that was the sort of commitment they had. The secretary to the cabinet, a brilliant man, so I'm told, with the letters after his name, you could write a letter about that. Well, he said, well, we're in a Christian country, aren't we? And I'm certainly part of it, and I know you're a Christian organization. Again, it was so thin you could see through it. When Rodney Green came in, this chief executive officer of Leicester City Council, I didn't actually have to say to him, how do you express your Christian faith? It was so obvious through his conversation that this man loved the Lord Jesus. And he's now the prior and the leader of St. John. How obvious is it to the people who know us that Jesus is Lord of our life? I like to get up very early in the morning and pray and read the scriptures. I know it's not convenient for everybody, but I find that before the telephone starts ringing and the computer starts buzzing, it's nice to spend the day having had that quiet time. I believe it's essential that we meet with the Lord Jesus every day and actually answer his question. What do you want me to do for you today? It's a big question, isn't it? Why are we searching for him? Because we've got to know what we want from him. And he knows exactly what we need. And we need to meet together on that. And so this morning, perhaps realizing our standing, we might well say to the Lord Jesus, are we serving you as you want us to serve? Matthew chapter 25. You remember the questions asked there by the Lord Jesus. You see me hungry and you give me something to eat. You saw me thirsty and you gave me a drink. You saw me a stranger and invited them in. You saw that clothes were needed and you clothed me. And you sick and you looked after me. And the disciples saying, hang on a moment, when did we ever see you like that? And Jesus said, because you have done this to others, because you have clothed them and given them to drink and so on, because you have visited the sick and those in prison, you've done it to me. It's a positive answer to what you might be asking. 
What do you want me to do for you? Says Jesus. Lord, I want to be your servant. It's when we neglect these opportunities that we need to search for Jesus and ask why we have not or cannot undertake these things. I'm as shy as anybody about talking of my faith. I confess that. But when I do, I love to do it. I love people to know that I'm a Christian. And sometimes I know people will laugh and smirk. But I am his ambassador. You are his ambassador. If you're born again. And ambassadors are not ashamed of what they represent. We shouldn't be ashamed of who we represent. So realizing our standard, we can, our standing, we can reaffirm our faith and make a new commitment at the start of this new year. Shouting out, Jesus Christ is Lord. Is my Lord. So as God's chosen people, I believe we need to clothe ourselves, and I quote from Scripture, with compassion, with kindness, with humility, gentleness, Robin Oak, be gentle, be patient, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances we have, forgive as the Lord has forgiven us, put on love, and let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Let the word of God dwell in us richly. Again, we talk about the quiet time, being alone with him at the start of the day if we possibly can. I believe in our reaffirmation, our rededication for this next year, we need just to recognize two things. Our character is measured by what we do when no one else is looking. Let's say that again. Our character is measured by what we do when nobody else is watching. God is. He knows us. And he knows wherever we are, whatever we're doing. And secondly, when Jesus is the center of our focus, everything comes into proper perspective. We seek him because he's the one in whom we find strength and direction and forgiveness and vision. He who hung on the cross. Now, I know we've just had to recognize the birth of Christ, but Christmas leads to Good Friday and Easter because Jesus came to save us. And his love there on the cross, his forgiveness of a thief right next to him, of him shouting out, Father, forgive them. Even Stephen, when he was being stoned to death, he was saying, forgive them. They don't really know what they're doing. It's in that context of Jesus' love for us when he says, what can I do for you? Let him determine our speech, our behavior, our attitude, our abilities, indeed our whole life. Jesus asks us to seek him so that he's permeating through all that we do and think, so that he enables us to minister to others.
As I finish, let me remind you of this prayer of Samuel Pugh. I'm not alone by night or by day or by circumstance, neither in silence nor in the city's roar, nor as I lie at the door of death or stand at the threshold of a new life. Lord Jesus, you are with me, around me, underneath me, bearing me up, giving me strength, calling me on. I'm not alone. Jesus, you have been, you will be, you are with me. I am always in your care. So Jesus asks again, why are you searching for me? What is it you want me to do for you? He wants us to find him, to walk with him, to be the Lord of everything in our life. Let's bow our heads and I'll finish with a short prayer. Father, we're so grateful that the Lord Jesus is your power and wisdom. We thank you too that because we are in Christ, he is our righteousness and holiness and redemption. We're humbled that the Holy Spirit searches us and fills us so that we can be strengthened in our faith by his indwelling. We know that no one can lay any foundation for our life other than the firm foundation, the Lord Jesus. So, Father, at the end of this year, we repent of any shortcomings and seek your power to forgive and restore so that we can affirm that Jesus Christ is Lord in our life. We ask this for the sake of your gospel, that we may be effective witnesses wherever we are. Father, we plead in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we approach the communion table, we remember that Jesus loved us so much that he gave himself for us. Christ in you is the hope of glory.